Hello, hello, I am Sarah. And I'm Tabitha. And, and this, this is Love on Tape. This is a podcast about love. Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> okay, so today we are talking to Tabitha about her project for this semester. Yay! Woo, I did this thing. Um, yes. Yes, so this is my three-part theoretical, this is the third part of my three-part theoretical theoretical project about the expectations of love in society and how we set up the societal expectation that everybody's destiny is to find your, like, one true love and um, how it kind of affects ideas of what a relationship is supposed to look like and how it can be incredibly harmful to not only people in relationships, but also people outside of the standard who don't necessarily want to be in a relationship. Sounds really interesting. Do you want to give us like a quick little overview about the past two parts that you've already done? Yes. So it started out with uh, basically a deconstruction of how society is looking at love now. So I started talking about those societal expectations and how we place them on to people, especially uh, the younger generation growing up and how it gets implanted in our way of being very early on and continues in throughout history. Uh, So I talked about expectations of, you know, the destiny that everybody has is, you know, you're going to be in a, end up in a relationship and it's uh, the American dream, you know, a a husband or wife, two kids, picket fence and a dog. That like really beautiful ideal of like, you're going to have the perfect family. uh, That, can tend to be a little bit uh, controlling and box people in into paths in life that they aren't necessarily meant for, that they don't necessarily want to be in. Um, So I talked a bit about the ways that we're socialized into movies, uh, into um, (laughs) romantic relationships and that expectation of romance, one of those being uh, movies, which is less important for mine, but it does become an issue in that we see from a very early age content about romantic relationships being really crucial in our, like, central in our consumption uh as we grow up and you know we're used to it we see it and everything from like as a kid you see disney movies and then going into your adulthood rom-coms and it reinforces that idea of you know you see it on screen and this looks really cool and beautiful so you want to do that and another really big part of that socialization happens to be uh the family institution and family structures and you know some people grew up or the standard that you see is you had two parents and so you grew up and you're like oh well I got to do that and so you just kind of have a tendency to people have a tendency to fall into the patterns that their parents laid down for them and wanting to follow along with that very interesting that's absolutely fascinating very not sarcastically that is very fascinating (laughs) thank you (laughs) so what about the second part of your project yes uh so the second part was supposed to be about uh is deconstructed reality what it was so the history and believe it or not it's kind of hard to sum up the history of love Uh, how the heck do you even pinpoint what love is i don't know this project didn't cause any crises is for me at all it's fine absolutely not yeah (laughs) but uh so it's kind of hard to talk about that but something that we see very often is love gets interconnected with marriage i mean we see marriage is like the most uh, 
the end-all be-all uh, depiction of love that you can have. When you get married to somebody, you are dedicating your life and everything you have and everything you are to this person. You're committing to them. And we see that as an act of love. So I looked back and I kind of traced the history of marriage as far back as I could find it, which is harder to do than you might think because after a certain going back to a certain point records are not as easy to keep but um i found going back that at its start of like at the earliest stages marriage was far far less about love and actually a lot more about like establishing alliances and connections between uh non-familial units so you'll have somebody who is maybe just kind of standard in life but if they can find somebody that is a slightly higher position or status and marry into that family you expand the amount of resources and you expand the amount of people that you have to rely on uh think about this in like clan senses where if the clan gets bigger that's more people to bring in resources to hunt to gather to fight to support and then you know we keep that going you have uh the dowry was a concept for a while uh, where uh, if a man, his family would pay the family of the woman he wanted to marry in exchange for her, and that dowry was supposed to make up for the loss of home care that was happening when the woman was going off to be with this other person. You're basically paying for a maid that in this context uh, in heterosexual relationships uh you also got to um have children have, with yes have Procre- children procreation procreation a wife that or a, a maid that gives you kids yeah um it also was used as a way to keep track of children and know whose children are who because bastard children became a very big deal and we see a lot of the time that or we saw that Basically, it was a way of, you know, if somebody's having, because they're popping children out quite a bit because very few of them survived. So the more you have, the more likely somebody would grow up and continue on your family name. Um, But as people started to gain more resources and money and stuff, it became a lot bigger of a deal to know who's carrying on the family name because you don't want somebody who's not a part of the family actually getting your wealth and getting your resources and inheriting it. So it had a couple different, mostly strategic and monetary uh, uses at its earliest stages. And then slowly over time, it began to uh, evolve into something that welcomed love as a part of marriage. At the beginning, it was even considered detrimental to marriage and to society as a whole to be married. Uh, There's an article by um, Stephanie Kuntz, uh, The Radical Idea of Marrying for Love in The Sun magazine, that talks about this intense idea that even if it was accepted, being in love with this married partner was just kind of a nice side effect. Uh, And then starting around the French and American revolutions, uh, we had the Enlightenment movement, you know, life, liberty, and uh, happiness, this idea that you can go after what is right for you and what you want in life 
not just what everybody says that you're supposed to have. And with these ideals of personal freedom and happiness becoming much more important, people started to go after what they wanted. And that didn't necessarily mean just these marrying for money situations. And people fell in love and knew what it might have meant to fall in love. But it took that um, embracement, embracing of personal happiness to make them think that maybe I can apply love to marriage. And then uh, in like the 19th century, we've got the Victorian area, specifically Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, who are seen as some of the biggest icons of like a beautiful, loving marriage um, in history. And they were, they were an arranged marriage, definitely, but they really loved each other and at the very least you can see in the queen's letters to him a very intense and deep love for him and you know we're obsessed with the royals we've always been obsessed with the royals and so you saw that trickle down into society and see that become a much more accepted and uh liked thing um another big landmark in the history of like marriage and love became uh, the Married Women's Property Acts, which gave women the right to retain their own wealth, assets, and property when they married their husbands, rather than having to release everything they own to this man who basically now has ownership of her. So, um, though that since the society had been so centered around marriage and uh, around wealth, now that marrying somebody wasn't necessarily guaranteeing you their wealth and their property, that wasn't as big of a reason to get married, and so people started getting married for love. Interesting, interesting. Now, how does this uh, marrying for love affect uh, the way we view marriage and love today? It's interesting because there's a huge gap. I found, like, I saw a huge gap in my research in between, like, love is something that has no place in marriage to, you know, if you fall in love with somebody you marry, that's cool, too. And then all of a sudden, it is the end-all, be-all of, mar- of marriage, or love. Like, marriage is the true destiny of love. And I think it's really interesting because we see it nowadays where if you're in love with somebody, you should always be aiming to get married. Like, engagements and proposals and weddings are a huge thing in American and modern society, especially in Western society in America. And we see, like, the wedding industry has become a huge thing. It's been become increasingly and intensely monetized where it's, you know, venues and florists and bakers and all of this stuff becomes incredibly important so that you can show off to your family and friends just how much you love this person with a really extravagant ceremony and then a really cool party afterwards. All about money. It has somehow always all about money. It's the capitalist society. We will sprinkle in a little bit of communism into our podcast just for fun. Just for fun. Just for fun. Um, It's about capitalism. Always, not always, but a lot of it comes down to money. And, you know, we like to think today that people get married for love as opposed to wealth. So um, we've talked about what it was. We've talked about, like, what we kind of think it is now. So what do you think is primarily wrong with this idea of being, like, you are going to grow up? And you are going to be in a romantic relationship, and you should want to do that. What do you think is wrong with that? Well, you see. Um, (laughs) The problem here, I think, becomes that, like, 
not everybody is going to fall into that box of you find your partner, you fall in love with them, you get married, you have kids, blah, 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 blah. Um, it doesn't work like that. We are, human beings are notoriously uh, individual. Complicated. Complicated and individual. And it's very rare that anybody, like, actually is the same and falls into the same uh, destiny and plan and desires for their life. So... I think one of the biggest things is, you know, the she's huge change in accepting love as a part of marriage came around with like the enlightenment movements and this idea that you should be going after your own personal freedoms and happinesses, um, happinesses, your own personal freedoms and happiness, rather than following what other people have destined for you. And so I feel like that's kind of fallen out of favor and that you know we've yet again we have a tendency to we create our structure in society and we follow it because it's easier to follow along with what everybody's doing than to carve your own path in the world and try and find your own place in this world and so I think it's um I think it's really interesting that we've yet again just taken a different form of like what is supposed to happen and started following along with that. And I think one of the biggest things that needs to change in this sense is creating room for people to fall in love and be in love however they would like. Because there's no, not everybody has the same love story. And, you know, it's not always being like swept up by. Uh, the knight in shining armor on a white horse who's going to take you away to wherever you need to be. Some love is different and it's complicated and everybody has different ways that they love. And I think one of the big things that might, that needs to change is not just accepting different ways that people love, but accepting the possibility that some people may not always want to love at all. Mm. And, you know, there's uh, aromanticism, which is a term that was coined by Elizabeth uh, Brake, I believe was her name. And she is a theorist uh, who was researching uh, romantic, uh, specifically marriage, and how marriage has played into this idea of love. And uh, she had a book, Minimizing Marriage, where she devi- defined the term aromanticism um, or no, she identified the term amatonormativity as the assumptions that a central, exclusive, amorous relationship is normal for humans, uh, and that it is a universally shared goal, and that such a relationship is normative, and that it should be aimed at in preference to other relationship types. Uh, really falls into kind of the cores of our class which is, you know, this idea that it becomes a universally shared goal, which is something we've talked about a lot, that nothing is universal and nothing is consistent and is the one right way to do anything. And so uh, you've got aromantic people who don't necessarily feel that love and uh, maybe just different levels of it. Maybe they need more time with the person in order to feel that love. And it's interesting. I feel like there needs to be more space for people to love however they want or however they don't want necessarily. 
very interesting. We apologize for the background cat noises. There is, in fact, a cat in the storm who has made his life goal to make us miserable. We apologize for that. Forever and always, he will be hurting us. He is indeed. So, um, apologies for the cat noises, but that's a really great point. I think those are all very interesting and really worthwhile to uh, talk about in this treacherous society that we live in. So, um, you propose what you think is wrong. Um, how do you think we can fix it? Can we fix it? So, a lot of the issues here in fixing this idea of romance and love and marriage are in kind of the stigmas and the way we view things and the way we view relationships. It's hard to like decide what is going to be the fix. It takes time and generations of people changing their minds and the way they view things and the way they see things. But I guess if I were to pinpoint like how I want this to look on the other side of the door where things are um, where things are better and we have room for people to love, I think the key thing would be showing room for all forms of relationship, uh, non-standard, non-traditional relationships outside of what we've kind of set up as the standard, like, monogamous heterosexual relationship. That does not have to be how it is. Uh, We can change things. And so, like, queer platonic partnerships, which is something that has arisen within the queer community as a partnership with somebody that is is not necessarily um, romantic, Um, It could be intimate, like sexually, depending on how people operate with each other, Uh, but it's a partnership with somebody that doesn't fall into our standards of what a a relationship or a partnership is supposed to be. And there's a lot of room, even within that term, for flexibility and being who you are and being in a relationship that is comfortable with you, however, whatever that means to you. Another thing I think would be important to see is taking hookup culture and kind of twisting it to be more accepting and more open uh, because we see hookup culture, it's a thing, it's, it's around very consistently. People go, they have sex with people that's just to have sex with and then they move on with their life. Fascinating. <laughs> Are you okay with that? It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating idea. I think it it's, it's truly interesting. Um, Mm. Good. So, in, so, your, so in your tweaking of hookup culture, what exactly would you be doing? Like, if you had to, like, come up with, like, the one idea of hookup culture, of, like, the ideal, what would it look like? Listen, everybody, go fuck who you want. Language. Just go have sex with whoever you want. Move on with your life. Sexual intercourse. Do It doesn't matter. That's the thing. It... Not that it doesn't matter, but the, like, hookup culture has fallen into the trap where, at least in heterosexual culture, it takes a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. You both have to be there and want to fuck each other. Right. Yes. I'm following you so far. <laughs> yes. Um, and yet men are treated as if they are kings of society for hooking up with as many women as they can. They get treated like like if if they're the man, they're the man. Yeah. Whereas if women are to 
basically told if women are to do the same thing and they have sex with casual sexual partners they're demonized you know they're treated like they're they're called whores sluts all these demeaning terms belittled belittled a, a stupid girl it doesn't it doesn't match up you can't have this open sexual world where one half of it is being told that they're wrong for participating mm-hmm. but it does, it's not happening if they're not there mm-hmm. like they both need to be there for that to work and i almost do think that a little bit of like there's different apps that have slightly more space towards women so i think uh i would almost say that a big t- shift in this would be putting women more in control of the circumstances and the uh, encounters that they're having. Like, Bumble has it set up where in heterosexual matches, only the woman has to be the person to message first. Interesting. If they match, if a woman matches with a man on Bumble, he can't message her first. She has to reach out to him. No unsolicited dick pics. No unsolicited dick pics. Until after she's messaged. No unprompted. Yeah. It, it mm. tends to help a little bit. Um, and so I think with that, a big thing that needs to change is just kind of stigma and having space for every... If, if we're all going to be having one-night stands, and not all, obviously, but if, we're, if, if everyone like just across the spectrum and around the board is going to be... One-night standing. One-night standing, having <laughs> sexual intercourse with casual partners then nobody needs to or deserves to be demonized for that because we're all involved Mm -hmm. none of us are better than the other right so just kind of ending the stigma around hookup culture particularly around women yeah very interesting that's that's an interesting concept i think it's just like shaking it off just taking that like horrible stigma right about um sexuality and mm-hmm. taking this idea of demonizing women for being sexual beings and shaking it off it i don't know is our society ready for it are we that's that is the question that is the question, that is the question. <laughs> ending the stigma around such things right very fascinating very interesting i think this is a very interesting topic i think you did a great job of analyzing it um so any other remarks you'd like to say? I don't think I have any more questions for you on this topic. Anything else you'd like to say in your, like, anything about maybe, like, where you want us to go or how you want us to get there? Um, I think what's going to be interesting is, um, I didn't touch on it as much as mine, uh, but I know it is a significant part of your project, is the media and the way uh, the media we consume affects the way that we see love and romance Mm -hmm. and uh i think it's going to be really interesting because i have all these ideas about uh opening up uh the idea of what a relationship is and what a relationship has to be and it doesn't have to necessarily include romantic intimacy uh and that you can just be with someone without being in love with someone with them necessarily and i feel like that's important as well but it's also I feel like we could get to just a whole other level once we kind of talk about and incorporate your ideas of more how our 
movies and TV and media uh, adjusting and altering the way we see romance and mm -hmm. opening up the idea of what being in love can even look like anyway. Mm -hmm. Sneak peek for the next parts. Yeah. Thank you for your ideas. Stick around if you if you want to see those. Stick around for our next episode in which we will be discussing my project, Little Sneak Peek. It's very similar, but a little bit different. And our third episode in which we fully just dive into the media and how it affects the reconstruction of both of our projects. So you did a great job. I think you Thank sounded you. really good. Any like closing remarks real quick? Um, I think we're on a great path to just ideas of new romantics new romantics really uh adding some peace into these relationships i think yeah and we can finally like be clean and feel clean and pure and true to ourselves about the way that we're operating within relationships ah yes that would just be all too well so we will be back for the next episode thank bye. you for joining us bye